Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs, or you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. I appreciate all the shares, the downloads. Um, we had a record-breaking day the last two days in terms of downloads. We're almost we're doubling day after day the downloads from the day before suddenly. So all of a sudden we've hit this run of downloads and people downloading the episode. So the entrepreneurs, the audience, everyone who's on the show, I appreciate you guys and I love you guys and continue to share the love and give good stars and good ratings if you guys enjoy the shows, especially with the entrepreneurs you guys are passionate about or know. Their episodes do better when you leave comments on the episode or give it high ratings. So with that being said... I have Giovanni Pellegrino of uh, Pellegrino's Trattadori, um, which I can't very say, say very well. I sh- I'm Italian. I should be able to say that. And he's from North Carolina. So, Giovanni, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm going to have to practice the word restaurant in Italian, Trattadoria. How do you say Tra- it? Trattoria. Trattoria. Doria. Um, man, I'm, yep. uh, and it's funny because I'm using this program on my phone called Drops to like relearn my Italian that I know from my grandmother when I was growing up. Like it's refreshing my memory. I know the food mostly. So like I'm starting to get through it. And I also use Drops for Spanish, but it's a great app for anyone who's out there. And that's not a plug. Well, it is a plug, but it's not. I'm not getting paid for it. And um, But Drops on an Apple phone or on your Google phone that you do five minutes or ten minutes a day. It's pretty phenomenal in learning another language. So anyway, obviously I have work to do. So Giovanni, tell us your story. Like how did you become an entrepreneur? How did you end up in food? And, and I guess let's go all the way back to your childhood and just sort of talk about your life, your influences, your family, and how you ended up where you were are. Well, um we could start when I was a child. Um, we I, we grew up. Me and my brothers we actually grew up with two incredible chefs, which was my mother and father. And, and growing up Italian, Italian household family, I've always thought that all Italians knew how to cook because Italian food and everybody's a great cook. Uh, until we learned that I, my mother was a, a sister uh, from I think a family of eight brothers and sisters. And growing up with my aunts and uncles and my cousins, they all were saying, hands down, Zia Lucia is the best Italian cook in this family, which was my mother. So that's when I realized, all right, we, we got something here. I mean, all my cousins and my aunts and uncles are, are saying that my mother is, you know, one of the, the best cooks out of all of them. So I knew that food was definitely, uh, you know, a, a good role in our family. Uh, my father definitely appreciates, you know, when it comes to cooking, it was all about quality. And um, me and my younger brother started working in a restaurant when we were 12 years old. So he had a best friend in Jersey that had a pizzeria Italian restaurant. And we were able to work in the back end because 12 years old, you can't really work in a restaurant. But we were able to work in a restaurant. Now, I'll never forget that day that my father drops me off and one of the greatest sayings my father ever said was, Giovanni, I want to tell you something before you start working. And I was listening, and he goes, there's nothing in this world that you can't have. Anything you want, you can have. You're just going to have to work a lot harder than some people, meaning some people were born rich and had things handed to them, but that doesn't mean that I can't have it. 
I might have to work a little bit harder, but my dreams can still come true. So I never, I never forgot that saying, you know, it always stuck with me. Um, but we, I just grew passionate inside the kitchen. And before you know it, at 12 years old, I was washing dishes at then 14 years old. I started, you know, by the time I was 14, I was learning dishes in the kitchen. And probably at the end of, you know, getting closer to 15 or 14 years old, I was actually cooking and, you know, sauteing clams and making, I was the only kitchen, uh, chef in the kitchen. And I look back now as an owner and looking at people or like my nephews and nieces, and I see them at 14, you know, barely understanding how to handle a knife. And I'm just like, wow, I was able to do this at 14 years old. And, you know, so I, I always knew that me and my brothers, we had, we had a passion for, uh, for cooking. So, I, I love this. And, and so growing up, you're 15 years old, you're, you're in the business, like talk to me about where life goes from here as a chef. I mean, because now you're cooking in a kitchen where most people have to earn their way in um, and they're much older when they do. You started at a younger age, but I think because you were younger, you're probably a little bit more malleable, your mind, and easier to pick up things. So you really grabbed onto them and, and executed them well. So tell me about this. Tell me about what it was like to be 15 years old and, and the restaurant industry and where this took you. Oh, well, I mean, I, it became, it became like, just like, just, you know, just nature. Like to me, it was like, it, you know, it didn't even feel like work to me because number one, I love food. Number two, I love learning. So I always inspired, I was always inspired about just learning and just, you know, learning new dishes, how, why it was done this way. Um, and, and, and also the tradition, you know, so my father and mother, they come from Italy. So I, I was always just amazed of traditions of how things were done, what time of year things were done. And we eat this at this, you know, this type of year, so, you know, so certain holidays where we only eat this and, you know, so tradition came a lot, the reason why we do things. Um, but then as I got older, I started realizing and started questioning, you know, certain things of, you know, maybe they did it this method because these were the only tools they had. You know, and some people take it for granted and they use that method all the way through, but it, they don't really think it out and just, you know, I like to take myself out of the box all the time and, and say, why did they use this? Maybe... If that was the only tool and now I have other tools to make things better and quicker, then I wasn't afraid of trying it. As long as I didn't degrade from quality, I, I wasn't afraid of trying. So I, I always kept on trying different ways of doing it if it was easier, but not but I wasn't taken away from the quality of food. So I, I was always intrigued by food. I was always intrigued about, you know, how much food I can make or, you know, um, I, didn't, I wasn't afraid of the volume. I wasn't afraid when it got busy. I actually, it was like, I don't know. It, it, it was, it was like a rush in my body. So, so I knew I was, I knew as a child that I, I knew I was going to be in the food industry all my life. It's interesting you say that because there's like, I, I have the same thing. There's like three things that I can like really touch upon in my life that I know that like, have sort of been my life and like I was meant to be in this area like it I was instilled in me I mean entrepreneurism as a whole but specifically in food I don't know why even though I I constantly try to drift out of food or start drifting out of food 
in the essence, I always end up back in food. No matter what, I that you know, start side businesses or spin off a subsidiary ends up weirdly okay. That's working, doing great, but I end up getting drawn back to the food. So I agree with that. You know, in soccer or football, however you want to look at it, was another one of those things. Like I'm very like soccer as a sport or athletics. Um, at the same thing, I felt like it's just a part of who I am and then animals around me. So I'm totally relating what you say. I feel like there's this purpose and sometimes in life you just find something. And if you don't explore those some things, they're the type of things when you're like 70 years old that just rot away at you and lead you to an earlier death than normal because you're like, oh my God, I wish I would have done that. And now I'm so unfulfilled and there's no way I can go back and become a singer or a, a bull rider or or an athlete. And if we don't capitalize on anyone who's in, younger in the audience, like those places are these feelings that we have, they do not go away. I met plenty of people who still have the same feeling of wanting to be in food and be a chef, but they're stuck behind a desk being a lawyer. And while they make great money, they live a very unfulfilled life. And that unfulfillment and unhappiness spills into their personal relationship. So as entrepreneurs, like I feel like it's our duty to really explore these things because not everyone gets to. Like, you got to understand that we were given a privilege for some reason. We chose a different path by some miracle. Hopefully, you know, God instilled it in us and we used our will to get there. But also, like in Giovanni's case, I can relate to that. Like, you were born into food. Your family, Italian, the food became like the center point. You break bread. That's what brings people together. There's a lot of happiness and laughter and tradition and geez, diversity in food, even amongst the Italian cuisine, we only get a glimmer of it here in the United States and a little bit Americanized. But if you go over to Italy itself and the traditions that are like my grandparents brought over and, and that came into the United States, there's so much there, particularly based on regions of Italy, because Italy didn't really exist as a country until the 1890s. It was more like city states and spread out amongst places. And part of it was checklist Czechoslovakia at one time I think and or one of those states um or uh countries nations so let's talk a little bit about this um talk to me about your parents they obviously were very big influences on you and role models and I think when we grow up in in food and we have parents that are in food you're able to compound your learning curve and you're able to learn quicker because you're not you're getting the experience the exposure and the education all at once and that's pretty key it's one of the those are the three main things i talk about on the leadership battalion podcast uh the centurion leadership battalion podcast as the three fundamentals of being a leader and you had those from the very beginning the education the exposure and the experience um all at once so talk to me about what you do like Talk to me about your parents, first of all, and, and what kind of role models they were and what they instilled in you. Oh, my, I mean, there will always, always be my role model. My father passed away a little over 10 years ago. Is my role model and my hero and stuff. But, um, uh, you know, they, they came from Italy at a young age, and I was inspired. You know, I was always amazed by, first of all, by my mother, um, when they came here, they didn't speak English. They didn't know anything about English. Um, but I was amazed as being raised by my mother that she took us to school and sat down with the teachers and had conference meetings with them. And but she barely understood English. And she went shopping and bought, you know, groceries, not even, you know, 
you know, knowing anything, not how to, you know, how to speak properly and everything. And I was just amazed now looking back of what my mother was able to do, um, not even speaking the language, you know, the English language. And then, you know, as she got older and the years passed, she started learning, but she was always shy and talking because she knew that she spoke broken English. So, so you would get her to talk, but very, very little. My father explored more and he's, he always had, he had a, he had a broken English, but he didn't mind. He didn't care. He still wanted to speak English. And my friends growing up, they loved him because it was just a, it was just a funny broken English. They just make you laugh, you know, instead of saying, for instance, like I would never forget one time it was snowing and uh, my father was stopping all these girls that I go to school with, which are friends with their parents are friends with him. And he would just roll down the window instead of just saying, Hey, you guys are having fun. He would roll down the window and say, hello, Tina, you having funny? And she'd be like, what? He goes, you having funny? And I'll just like roll my eyes. I'm like, please understand him. And then she, then she understood. She was like, yes, 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 Mr. Post, you know, yes, we're, you know, and then he'll laugh and then we'll drive away. But, you know, it was just those things that just made me laugh. Um, I was inspired by them just not being afraid of just, for instance, just not being afraid of speaking, even though he, they knew they weren't, they didn't speak properly. It didn't stop them from trying. Uh, just the fact of them just to come over here and just trying to have a better life, you know, the inspiration of that alone is just tremendous. Um, uh, you know, I'm just grateful that my mother and father had that strength to come here and just leave you know, they're, you know, my mother, again, family of eight, when she came here, they came in little groups. So I think my mother was, because she was the youngest, she was the first one to come with my grandmother. And I think it was her, my grandmother, my uncle, and then little by two, and until they were all little, when they started working to save the money, finally here, they have enough money to bring another two in, another small apartment, and, uh, you know, it's just inspiring is how, they, how they're able to do things like that. Same with my father. Um, actually, my father met my mother because my mother was working at a sewing company uh, factory where my grandmother was, my father's mother. And uh, one day he was sick or my grandmother was sick and she came over to bring some soup to my grandmother. And my father saw, see my mother for the first time. And, uh, you know, my grandmother's been working in the factory for two years and she never had a visit for her son. Sure enough, that first week when she got back to work, guess who shows up to want to say hello to my grandmother because she, he wanted to see my mother. So, uh, you know, that's a little story there, but... I, that's a that's the thing we we well i think maybe not all men do this but i would say that it's instilled in us being italian is if we find if there's the woman out there we start showing up for them that's a very <laughs> true statement i don't know how else to put it i don't know if it's a genetic malfunction but there is no there's like beeline like let's just start showing up for that person and it also weirdly is great for a lifestyle i think that's one of the things italians do very well in our culture that's italian americans that's been uh, the hard work, the the work ethic, and the American dream is a lot of that showing up. Uh, if you do nothing else, show up. It'll always be like, Justin, I don't care if you read a single book, show up to class every time. Do not miss a class. And it proved to be right. If I showed up to class all the time, I learned way more than the book would ever teach me, although I did read the books um, here and there. But I did... Um, 
<laughs> funny part is, is I loved reading. Like when I turned like 21, 22 is when I started reading like 10 pages a day in self-development. And I did a lot of that in college. But one of the things was this, just show up, right? Just show up to class. Then the books will supplement it or whatever else you do. And it's the same at work. If you don't feel like going, just show up. You know, I say that to anyone out there. If you don't feel like doing it today, just show up today. You can worry about showing up tomorrow, tomorrow, but just do it today. And um, I love that that's, that's what happened there, and I love the pursuit. So um, go on with your story. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, no, no. I was, just, I was just saying that, you know, these are some of the things that I was just inspired by my parents. Um, and, you know, and I, and I know my father had a restaurant in New Jersey, I mean, in Manhattan, with his uh, mother and father's family restaurant. It was the first cafe, sidewalk cafe, one of the first sidewalk cafes in Manhattan. Um, but then when the recession hit, <clears throat> they they just couldn't afford it because it was one of the bigger restaurants. It was a three-tour, three-tower restaurant. And uh, But when it was booming, that place was really booming. And it was and growing up, a, a lot of celebrities went there. So we saw, we always, as kids, we would come home and we would see uh Farrah, Farrah Fawcett's signature or, or uh, the gentleman that did Steve Austin's, uh, you know, from uh, the Bionic Man back in the day, um, where we see his signature and he would go to a restaurant all the time. But there was one guy that used to come there. I forgot his name, but he was the, the smaller gentleman from Fantasy Island saying, boss, boss, the plane. Well, I, yeah. I forgot his name. I forgot his name, but my father loved him and he was come and sit at the restaurant every day and have lunch with my father. And he, he I forgot what country he was from, but he had this accent and he would always say to my father, he'd be like, Carlo, come and have some lunch with me. Cause he would talk and be like, boss, boss, the plane. And you know, he had that accent and my father loved him and he would sit with him every day and he would smoke this cigar outside and just eat lunch with my father. So, you know, when when it was doing business, it was it was booming. But when recession came, it got a little it got you know a little tough, and unfortunately, they had to close. So there was a little bloodline of the restaurant inside the family, um, but they had it probably for about four or five years, and then the recession hit. Um, but again, you know, my father did the sacrifices, and then my mother and father both retired in General Motors because then my father was. He loved America. He loved being American. And back then with the union, he was all about the union and being, you know, strong because he knew at the end they were going to take care of them. You know, like when my mother's retired right now, she has insurance, she has benefits. So, you know, he was more concerned about that, not about the dollar, but about how they're going to be taken care of in life when they retire. Um, but I knew the sacrifices that he made in the restaurant and he made those sacrifices to try to have a better life for us as kids. So one of my biggest goals was, you know, if I always said as a child, if I ever become a millionaire, I want to buy that, that building back and, and put that restaurant back to what my father had, you know, bring it back to life. Never happened, but uh, McDonald's bought it and that, you know, but it was always one of my dreams. I said, well, I'll just, I'll just buy it off of McDonald's if I win the lottery. But, 
It's so interesting you talk about the three-layer restaurant because I can totally remember when those were a thing um, somewhat and uh, even when they came back a little bit. And even if you go to Europe, particularly Italy or Spain or Greece, they still have three-layer restaurants like that. Um, They're just not as common. I mean, we still have some here in the United States, but it's just the way that they were built, the way that they were designed, the way that they could really keep people there and the atmosphere and the endless hours of food and drink and fun I think is just so cool and we tend to be in such a rush these days that we don't enjoy stuff like that anymore even at formal dining we're like out of there in an hour um where the where the multi-level was just it was meant to hold you it was meant to be an experience in an atmosphere on multiple levels and and everyone felt they were a part of something when they went there and so I can totally relate to what you're saying and totally feel like I was just went, went back in time and into one of those situations or I'm back in Italy and in one of those in Milan, for example, um, as one of the cities, but they're all over, uh, particularly northern Italy. Um, so the plane, the plane, I just wanted everyone to know it's a catchphrase from Fantasy Island 1977 and 1984 and the actor is Hervé Velichazzi. And, um, yeah. I believe he is from Central or South America, but I'm not positive, actually. Um, I do know the guy. He was born in Paris, France, so he is French. His Hervé Jean-Pierre Velichazzi. He was born in April 23rd, 1943 in Paris, France. So uh, there you go. Interesting. So... um, I just wanted to give everyone that. So how did you, you, where'd you like, talk to me about the entrepreneurial journey. Like you grew up with your family, you grew up in the restaurant business. Did you go to college or did you jump right into the restaurant thing? I mean, tell me how this sort of started its way towards you owning your own restaurant, towards you becoming an entrepreneur, towards you, or you being involved in, in the restaurant industry in the way that you are now. Well, going so when I started again, I was twelve years old. So I I knew I always had the restaurant back to fall back on. Um, I kind of knew that I wasn't going to go to college, but I wanted to try the you know to, to try different things out, like maybe become a electrician or a carpenter. So I went to like a vocational school in high school, um, and learning you know, the trade and my father said, don't worry about the dollar. You know, it's about union, union, union. He was stuck on this union. Um, but at the time I was working and, you know, you have to understand, I, I loved cooking. I loved working with food and, you know, I'm Italian. So who doesn't like pizza? I get to eat pizza anytime I want and this and that. But I tried, I listened to my father and, and I went to vocational school. So when we graduated, I kind of started working Actually, I worked for a company that my father hired to build the second edition on top of our home in New Jersey. And um, I was working for them all summer. And I'm telling you, I've never, ever worked that hard in my life. They would have 18 wheelers of wood. And I'll never forget my boss saying, all right, Mr. Pellegrino, I need you to take that wood and put it on the side of the house. And I was like, yeah, I joked around. I said, it's going to take me a week to get that. He goes, no, you're going to have to. You're going to have to get that done before the day is over. And I thought it was crazy, but I ended up doing it. But I tell you, I've never worked that hard before. I've worked so hard. And back then, I was I was probably making like $130 a week 
where I was getting paid $85 or $90 a day at the restaurant. And I was just like, you know, I tried to hang in there. You know, my father kind of telling me about union, but I just, with the work environment that I was doing and the, the energy I was putting, I was like, I just couldn't do it. So I was just like, I can't, I said, I can't do this for this kind of money. I said, I have to go back into the restaurant. And I just went back into the restaurant and, and I knew then that I was eventually just going to work and save money. And I have a brother that was with my partner and I knew with him um, that we were going to eventually have a restaurant ourselves. So we both knew that we were going to work and get it. It took us a little bit longer than other people uh, because we kind of like worked for our money and saved our money. Other people, they kind of like borrowed money and had, had it done, but it didn't matter for us because we were able to learn more from our bosses wherever we worked. So it was, you know, when I came and worked for somebody, I always looked at it. It was like my restaurant. So because I was afraid, you know, I didn't want failure. Who wants failure? So I always treated it like it was my restaurant. And I've, if I was able to bring something different or just show that much care to it, if I can make a difference, then I know when I have my restaurant, my own, then I know I can be successful because if I can make a difference here, then I can make a difference in my restaurant. So I always had that mentality and it, and it did and it worked. And before you know it, I was making all these exotic kind of pizzas working at this pizzeria and they couldn't even handle the volume because people would come in that my boss would get mad because, you know, there's eight slices in the pie and, and some guys will want to buy six slices. And he knew there was a line out the door for this pizza and he would get no two slices per person, two slices per person, because he wanted to go longer so everybody could share pizza. But uh, but me seeing something like this and knowing, I say, okay, John, you got something here. And as I went to another pizzeria, I, I, I carried that with me and then tried something different. So, again, that being said, my brother started introducing some kind of buffalo chicken pizza that became a phase, and everybody loved it. And we knew... I knew we had something special. He had this buffalo chicken that people were going crazy for. We brought that into the mix. And uh, eventually we just, we had the opportunity and we and we opened up our, our first restaurant <clears throat> and it became a hit. So how'd you end up from New Jersey, New York City in North Carolina? So my younger brother, it was a chemical engineer and his wife's a doctor. And at this time, I'm going back maybe 17, 18 years ago. At the time, we thought it was high then because now real estate is crazy. But back then, the real estate was high. And they just got out of college. They just have, you know, three babies, two, two boys and a girl. And they're just trying to make a, a living. And with the mortgage and the, um, paying off the, the med school and, and even just paying off um, – the daycare, daycare center, I remember him telling me that for each child, I think it was like 300 or $350 a week per child for daycare. It was almost like it, it was over $1,000 just a week just for someone. And they had to pick it up. They had to pick up their kids at 2.30 or 3 o'clock. So it, it wasn't even like, you know, they had, he had to leave early at work to pick up the kids. <clears throat> They just couldn't make ends meet. They just they just felt like, you know, just being where they're at, they just couldn't make ends meet. So they went and looked at North Carolina. 
and North Carolina, Mooresville was the number one city to raise a family five years in a row. So when they came and they visited, they just fell in love. And a couple of years later, we visited and that was it. My mother turned around and said, we're going to move here. And we sold everything in New Jersey and we just moved here. And, and then within 10 years, we had over 50 relatives from Brooklyn, Bronx, Manhattan, Connecticut, and New Jersey that lived in a 10-mile radius of, of the North Carolina area. Oh, that's incredible. It was like yeah, an exodus. Was, no, really. It's, it's still We still have about 30-something because other people moved out of the area. But we still have about 30, 35 people in the area. That's pretty close. Very cool. So you you, fu- you found a location. You guys, obviously, you, your brother and you had the mindset that you're going to save money. You're going to go into this for yourself. Once you, you, you've decided you have enough money, how did you move forward? How did you find a place? How did you come up with menus? Like, Talk to me about the steps that you did to, to build what you've, what you've built, which is a, a successful business. Thank you. Well, the, the restaurant in New Jersey that we first bought, was already established. So we only had to come up with a certain amount of dollars to put almost like a down payment as for a house. And the owner held the note. So we had to pay them uh, a certain amount of dollars. Uh, say like, I think we paid them like, I forgot 3000 or something a month for like seven years or something like that. Um, so they were able to hold a note. We were scared because, you know, of the note and everything. And <clears throat> knowing how much they were they were making at that time but he opened up another establishment and kind of left the fire burn uh go out should i say in the restaurant because he was focusing on his new restaurant so that so it was going kind of down so you know it wasn't a good idea normally to have a restaurant that's kind of going down uh, but we knew that me and my brother were going to come in, that we were just going to turn things around. We had the fire and we, uh, you know, this was the moment that we've been waiting for. So, and it did, you know, you know, being nervous and everything like that, it did. From that day on, from that the first day that we opened up that restaurant, the word spread that we were in there, new owners, and we were bringing all these new dishes. We... That business has increased from the first day, the first week we did it for almost eight years in a row. And every month it was slowly increasing, making more, making more, making more. And and, and it was just phenomenal because I'm, I'm talking about, you know, when my brother, when we changed the menu and brought all these exotic pizzas to the menu, you couldn't touch a pizzeria that had all these toppings in almost a 10 mile radius. So the word got out. I mean, the word just spread. And within three, four years of us, we won best Italian, best pizza in central Jersey two years in a row in New Jersey. Or I think it was five years in the business. Um, So, yeah, so the love and passion. So everybody, like all my brother's friends, they all have like four restaurants, five restaurants. I'm not saying that's not the place to go. Me and my brother, we like being inside the restaurant because – it was um, just a, 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 we like to have hands on and, and just being in control and overseeing everything. So we knew that was going to be key. 
So when you mean exotic pizzas and, and exotic ingredients, can you talk to me about what you mean? Because you obviously spend a lot of time with pizza. Pizza's like your thing. So what do you mean by exotic? Tell me about, like, what are you doing at this point with the pizzas? What are the most popular ones that are going on? Because I, I'm just fascinated by this. So when I say exotic, I, I mean, like, just more like gourmet kind of pizzas. So back then, because, you know, we've been working in the pizzeria for so many years, a gourmet pizza back then was was a a white pie that had broccoli on it. You know that was considered a a gourmet type of pizza. Uh, besides, like your typical toppings is pepperoni, onion, sausage. Um, if you wanted something exotic or something different, it would gourmet. It would be like a a white pie or white broccoli or white spinach. When we came, we started making different things. So we started introducing. Uh, buffalo chicken, barbecue chicken, um, uh, vodka pizza, uh, you know, Thai pizza, cheesesteak pizza, Italian hot dog pizza. Um, you know, as we go on and on, chicken marsala, I put on pizza. Uh, you know, it, 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 we just, whatever the case may be, now we're doing like a, a, a calabrese kind of pizza, which is probably one of our popular sellers. But it's a, it's a calabrese sauce. You know, now it's just made with, it has pepperoni and sauces, uh, but then it's drizzled with this sweet and spicy calabrese sauce that I make with calabrese, with Calabrian peppers uh, and topped with just a little bit of ricotta. And uh, that's probably one of our top sellers. Um, but just introducing different topics, you know, now then sun-dried tomatoes came into pizza, and people are making pizzas with duck and, you know, uh, exotic mushrooms now and, you know, adding figs to the pizza. This is all came into play as as pizza started seeing a different light of a gourmet uh, market. So back then it was just your traditional cheese, but then gourmet just came into it. And uh, that's what I mean by exotic. Uh, it's so we- it's awesome. It's um, it's one of those things that it's like pizza was like a Italian peasant food back in the day. And, you know, then we Americanized it and Domino's and Pizza Hut blew it all over the country. And then it it but it keeps evolving. And it's like, you, yes, it can still be a lower price food, but it's also a luxury food now. And it's also oh, what we're talking about now. We're talking about all things that once start off as foods, including lobster, used to be fed to prisoners, as most people probably know. They become luxury goods. Like it's a matter of time before the next generation raises up, or the generation after that raises up um, in the economics and starts and taking the skills also from the past and improving on them. I don't want to do just what my parents did. I want to do it better. And I think that that's what you're doing here. You've taken the American dream, which your parents were instilled in your parents, why they came here to the United States. And then from that, from the restaurants, you're now compounding it. And I love this because as much as our parents want us not to follow in their footsteps or they think it's a hard life or they're trying to tell us to go somewhere comfortable, like a corporate job with benefits and a union with, with, you know, whatever, believe me, I'm the same thing. Go, Justin, work for corporate. My parents still do it to me today. I'm like, I am an entrepreneur. (laughs) There is no way that I will ever, it would be really bad. My reputation would probably be destroyed if I went and worked for someone else because I don't know how I would do it. And um, I'd probably be the mouthy, bad worker that doesn't really 
you know, can't keep his mouth shut because I've done this for so long. Now, can I work for someone and hold my head down? Yeah, but if I'm going into a corporation where my opinion matters, it's a different story. So one of the things is um, is that the, the dream and the things that we do um, in terms of being entrepreneurs is that we have to keep fighting forward, particularly in food. And I think that what you've done is you're like, okay, I have an idea. I'm going to keep pursuing this idea. I'm going to make this restaurant. I'm going to reinvent the menu. I'm going to bring something to the community that they haven't seen before. So you're not just not another cookie shop doing a cookie or another pizza shop just doing a pepperoni cheese pizza. You are actually giving something to the consumers that they want to have and they want to eat and they're willing to drive for you know i think if you want to order a pizza it comes to your house but if you really want something you'll find the place that has the things that you want and i you know i love what you're doing with pizza and i think pizza's become such a great thing so let's continue this so the original restaurant you guys are are doing this pizza thing people are coming from 10 miles around we understood like there's a luxury um to the pizza that you're providing i would say but it's also unique and you can get traditional but you can also get like things that are more um exotic or different i think would be a good term i mean i don't think you know i agree duck on pizza and the the thai pizza all those things i mean why not i mean it's it's a matter of uh pizza as a vehicle for all things so talk to me about like a little bit about the transition then how did you then get from that restaurant to uh, North Carolina, I think, is where we were before I asked you the question about the menu. Well, but then, that, so then I started going into the back, and I was also in charge of creating specials in my dining room area. So while me and my brother were working in the front and mastering the pizza side, we also had a dining room, but I was also in charge of um, creating specials. So, But I had an excellent crew, so there was no need for me to be there the only thing I had to do every week was <clears throat> show them the special of the week and show them how the dishes were made. And I just had to make the dishes once, explain to them. I gave them a piece of paper and that was it. So over the years, then we started getting our dining room. You know, first it was like half empty. And before you know it, it started becoming like an hour wait, people waiting. And our dining rooms were packed on a Friday and Saturday night. So the, the the food and the different specials that we did, I knew we had something. And I had a book of all different kinds of specials. So when we decided to sell and go into North Carolina, I, we were creating this menu. So when we created the menu in Pellegrino's at that time, we wanted to make some things traditional because we just didn't know what North Carolina has to offer, meaning we don't know what to expect of the, their taste, their palates. So I want I wanted to keep things traditional because maybe they'll be a little bit more familiar, but I also knew a lot of Northerners was moving there too. So I wanted to give something. I didn't want to just give a special, like say for instance, a chicken franchise or chicken marsala. You go to any restaurant and order a chicken franchise or chicken marsala. If they have it, you kind of know what it is. And you can get a lot of restaurants. I wanted a special that I created that when they fall in love with it, they can't go to another town or another state and say, 
hey, can I have the fettuccine Dante? Because the fettuccine Dante doesn't exist. It exists in my restaurant because I created it. So when they fall in love with it, they have to come to my restaurant to order that dish. Marsala is a staple. Francesa is a staple. You get it anywhere you want. So I made sure that I created specials that they would have to come only to my restaurant to have that dish. So it, it was a it was a mixture of traditional and what I've created into the menu. And it and it works. Did you, you say know, chicken Dante? Uh, fettuccine di Dante. Fettuccine di Dante. Uh, can you explain yes. to the audience what that is? So fettuccine Dante. Uh, so one of them is. I made specials with my nephews and nieces' names. Dante was one of them. So it's sautéed shrimp with shiitake mushrooms, sun-dried tomatoes, shallots, uh, simmered, and then reduced with a little bit of brandy cream sauce. I mean, brandy. And then I add a little bit of cream, reduce it. <clears throat> then I toss it with fettuccine pasta. And then as I toss the fettuccine pasta, I add a little bit of fresh basil and fresh mozzarella just to give that soft melt to it. So as you're developing this, you're you're. we talked about the fettuccine, we talked about the names, and I'm sorry for everyone if you can hear the noise in the background. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to deal with uh, some background noise as we're recording. But I want to talk about these specialty dishes that you're doing because I really like it. And, and for some reason, what year did you say you opened this restaurant or you took over this restaurant? And it was in New Jersey, correct? Yes, we took over, I believe, uh, year 2000, just before 2099. And where, what city was the restaurant located in? Or is it? Is that it was still... it. Yes, it, it's still running. It's called, it was called Dusals with a D, D-U-S-A-L-S. Dusals Italian Restaurant Pizzeria, and it was in Milltown, New Jersey. I feel like I've been there before. I have to, like the Dante thing and the fettuccine and what you're talking about just sounds eerily familiar. But I'm going to, like, it's a long time ago, and I've been spending time and traveling, like, in that area for, like, 24 years. So I'm like, hmm. But either way, like, let's talk about the other specials that you, the other items that you have and were creating that made your restaurant different. And, and what is your favorite thing? Like, what was the favorite thing app that you're producing? My favorite thing was, well, honestly, I'm, I'm a very simple, even though I, I have an imagination and creation, I'm very simple. I'm a tomato sauce. I love sauce. My favorite thing is lasagna, my mother's lasagna. We made sure when we, when we bought the restaurant in New Jersey, it was already established. So we didn't want to change too many things. Uh, so we didn't change the lasagna. But when we opened up the restaurant in North Carolina and called the Pellegrinos, the number one thing we said was, we're bringing mommy's lasagna to the table. And when I tell you, I love my mother's lasagna, but it's the number one seller. When we first opened up, we couldn't make it fast enough. We were going through one, two whole trays a day. When I, when I tell you these trays, we were going through it in a day versus New Jersey, if we made a tray of lasagna, we would cut it and put it in the freezer. It would probably last us a month, one tray. We were going through two trays in a day in North Carolina. That's incredible, actually. I love that. Yes. And is that because, I mean, did you find that North Carolina wasn't quite as ready for the 
the differences in Italian food, the creativity that you're doing, or it was just that lasagna is that popular in the South, uh, for lack of a better term? I'm a, I'm, I don't know if it, maybe lasagna is popular in the South. I'm not sure. But when I came in here, I could say definitely North Carolina was ready for the cuisine. Because when I created the menu, I had some dishes that were traditional, like, for instance, the puttanesca. The puttanesca is with, it's a marinara sauce, which is plum tomatoes with garlic, capers, olives, anchovies, tossed with pasta. When I created that, I said, okay, these are people from the north that are going to appreciate this dish. No way I would gamble anything in my pocket. There's no way somebody from the south is going to understand and appreciate this dish. <clears throat> One of the top sellers was puttanesca, and I can't tell you how many southerners ordered the puttanesca. I was so blown out of the water. I was like, never in a million years would I think uh, someone from the south would be ordering a uh, Capolini puttanesca. And so they, that's when I knew that they're, you know, a lot of them, you get some really hard Southern boys or whatever. They don't even like tomato sauce. They're true barbecue. So it's hard for them. You know, they'll keep things simple. But you have a lot of people that are just willing to try something new and they love it. So I enjoy it. I enjoy, I, I enjoy cooking for everybody. I welcome everybody. Um, but I, I love more so than of someone tasting it for the first time and falling in love with it because I built a reputation and they trust my ability. And then once they've found out that I, you know, they've been coming here for years and they never had anything wrong. Once I gained their trust, they're not afraid of trying something. And that's exactly how it was in New Jersey when I brought all those specials in. Once they established that he hasn't made a special that we didn't like, it was easy to sell because they knew <clears throat> it was something I created. And when I said, you're going to love it, that's it. They folded the menu and said, let me have it. I and love this. How'd you find the staff, the the chefs and stuff in a new location? I mean, you decide you're in North Carolina, you're going to open a place. It's not quite the same as being up North, I would say, um, in terms of the palate um, and the understanding and the di diversity to understand the recipes in the same way, at least in my experience. So how did you go about training the staff, um, giving them the environment that is more common and high paced up in the north than it is in the south? And and then the discipline that goes along with it, because, I mean, it's it's not the same, I don't think so. No, absolutely not. And so this was the first time we opened up a, an establishment. So it was a learning curve um, slash nightmare curve because uh, we didn't realize how many people just didn't even understand the cuts of pasta. What was fettuccine? What was linguine? What was capellini? I can't, I couldn't tell you how, you know, cause I, I hired some chefs and it was capellini and they were using fettuccine pasta or they were using rigatoni and it was supposed to be penne. It was a nightmare. So opening up cold and we only had like a day or two of training and I thought that would be enough. <clears throat> if I had to change and go back, it would definitely be a couple of weeks of training before I open up, you know, go live. Uh, that was our mistake and it was, and it, and it cost us because we made so many redos and, you know, mistakes and just, it was a nightmare. It was a, it was a learning curve that 
I 100% would not go through that again. Um, I, but uh, but as, believe as far, me, I've been there as I went from like Union cities and mass production of food or or northern cities into southern cities like Roanoke and Atlanta, Georgia. And don't get me wrong, like even in Roanoke, over time the employees became outstanding. But it's just it's a different it's a different environment. There's not the same base education in food that most humans get. I just up north somehow everyone ends up in food at some point or or a job. It's just not the same in my experience and. I can totally relate to what you're saying because you have everything finely tuned and you're ready to go. And the thing that you think is a given that everyone will understand, you're right. If it, it comes to like different types of rices, different types of tomatoes, different types of peppers, different types of pasta, a majority of the world has no clue and not even a yeah. clue. Even if they've been in the food business, they don't have a clue. Um, and it's scary, but number, but more importantly, it's something we have to do as entrepreneurs when we open up food businesses, uh, particularly in the United States, not in areas that don't have a lot of exposure to food or, or an education in food. And I think shame on any entrepreneurs out there. Um, now I can say this, but because I once was one, but shame on my previous self that I, that I didn't educate, um, or we don't educate more on food and where it comes from and what the people are getting, because it is part of the conversation at the table. What is a Roman tomato versus a hothouse tomato or a a beef eater tomato or whatever other tomatoes you want to throw out there? Um, because there are tons, just like there are lots of mushrooms, but go on. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I, I kind of talk to like newcomers coming in, and when I see they, you know, they, sometimes they think like, I try to stress the fact that not knowing is 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 something that you need to fix because it's an experience when you come to the restaurant. So when they ask you a question and you say I don't know, <laughs> you you killed it. You killed the moment. But when you understand and you can explain the dish you're just adding fire to to the to the fireplace and you're just keeping it lit and you're just keeping the the groove going so it's very important to be educated what you sell but i said i don't expect you to learn the whole menu but i expect you to learn at least one or two dishes every time you're here and focus on those two dishes and sell those dishes and then next week or you sell another two dishes before you know it you'll know the menu they get overwhelmed of looking at the big picture. Close your eyes, focus on two. Next week, focus on another two. Sell that all week, sell that all week. Before you know it, you'll know the menu. And when you can look at a table, I'm the number one seller. I could go to any table and I can sell anything I want. I can sell any special. When I make a special, I can go to any table and I can sell it. Because number one, why? Because I know every ingredient, I know how it's cooked. And they trust me because everything I've made, they love. So that's a big time selling factor. But more so is the way I explain the dish. When I explain it, I they see the passion in it. And they get so hungry, they fold it and they want it. Versus, oh, yeah, he's making a salmon dish. Do you want it? What did you do? You, you, oh, my God, that sounds delicious. No, you did nothing. Explain what type of salmon. How is prepared? How is it seared? What kind of sauce? Explain it. Put it all together. Bring it together. Make that get. Let them get hungry for the dish. So, and I, I try to explain to them, and you know, it's still today, still now. I'm trying to teach them 
because uh, you know you get a new one that comes in here and there, and it's very important for them to understand how important it is. Um, so yeah, it's always a learning, but it'll always be a learning. I just know that if I had to open up a restaurant from scratch again, give plenty of time, allow yourself plenty of time to let front of the house and back of the house understand each ingredient and what it is and what what it's made for. I, I think one of the things that happens is as entrepreneurs, we tend to be like, oh, we need to start making money as fast as possible. So we rush through the processes yeah. sometimes. Hey, hey. A learning, a learning experience. Yeah, you know, even even we learn. And so you talked about differences in the menu from one place to another, um, and and doing the specials. Do you? Um, let's talk about the differences in the menu. Is there any? And then and why? And then let's talk about the special thing. I want to bring this full circle because you develop specials every week. Like, how do you do that, and how do you make sure that it doesn't get? Uh, how should I say stale or bored or vanilla? Um, the specials uh, and your menu, I guess. Let's just talk about the whole thing in general. How do you make sure that you don't get a stale menu or or people don't get tired of it and specials as well? Well, I mean, the so long story short, but ever since the whole COVID thing, we had to downsize a little bit on our menu. Uh, because of pricing and stuff like that. And because of the volume, we weren't able to keep everything that we had in stock and prepare it because we were just going, we're going through stuff so much. It was just hard to keep up with the, with the menu. So we had to downsize our menu. So when we downsized our menu, we kind of just kept our top sellers. So as of now, excuse me, everything on the menu sells very, very good. Our specials is something that I bring that I, I, I kind of make a menu and I, and I post it on Facebook and I do a lot of live videos every day because I make my own sourdough bread. So I have a starter now that's over two years old. So every day I bake, I do a live uh, video blog at my restaurant and people follow and they listen to the specials and, and I, I, they kind of like, I have a lot of people that watch me and follow me. Um, so I, I do well with the Facebook and keeping everything live. So as far as, you know, the specials, again, again, it's that trust. Uh, these are customers that have had my food or it's customers that are just watching me for a past couple months, but they've never tasted my food, but I just hit them that one time. Um, it might be like a salmon that, oh my God, salmon is my favorite. So they might hear me talk about a salmon that day and they might, they'll say, honey, I've been watching this guy for two months. He has a salmon dish. It sounds so good. Let's just go there. And, and it, it happens. It happens a lot um, that I have people that just come in. I had a lady come in from South Carolina two hours away uh, and she drove because she's been watching me for like, I think, five or six months. And she drove just to come in and eat in my restaurant and and buy my bread because she sees me make the bread every day. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's good. So, you know, I, I it's hard, but you just got to stay with it. You just got to be steady. You got to keep it. If I stop making my videos or I stop promoting my specials, then my specials will decline. The more I promote it, the more I I create different ones, the more people will ask about what's the special. 
you got to keep the fire alive. And I've, I've seen it where I was too busy doing other things and I seen a decline in the specials. And then when I'm back at it, I said, Oh no, I'm going to, I'm just going to change it, change it, change it. When you give them a surprise every here and there, then they'll be, they'll look at the menu and be like, wait, 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 did he do anything different? Did he make anything different? Now they're intrigued. Now, now I got their attention and you have to keep that alive. So it's a job. But uh, it's a job that I like doing. Sometimes it gets a little, you know, a little too much, too hard, or not too hard. But, you know, I, I wish I had a little just more relaxed time. But I, I know I, I like I, seeing a customer satisfied and knowing that they come from my dishes is my ultimate satisfaction. So, you know, it works both ends on the spectrum. I love this. So talk to me about COVID a little bit. I mean, do you still run both restaurants just out of curiosity? No, we sold our restaurant when we moved here. Okay. Uh, but then when COVID came, it was a, it was a, it was, you know, it was a nightmare for everybody. I, I feel for a lot of restaurants. I feel there a lot of restaurants closed down. In fact, we were one of, uh, I'm not gonna say I was one of the, I was one of the one of few restaurants that decided to close down the restaurant and just do takeout before the governor. I did it the day before he was gonna announce it. I had no idea that the very next day he was gonna announce it. Uh, I just did it because I thought it was the right thing to do for the safety of the cut of the people, and it wasn't an easy decision to make. Because if I shut the doors, I, I was praying that the governor does it to make my job easy. Because if I shut the doors on my choice and somebody wants to come out to eat and I say, no, we're not accepting anybody right now. It's just takeout. And they want to eat. They're going to go next door. So I'm going to lose money because that person's going to stay open because they're going to take my, my overflow of people dining in. It wasn't an easy choice to make. It was one of the hardest choices I've made in my life in a restaurant. But I knew that I, what I was doing was right thing to do for the safety of the of the customers and in fact i did a, a video blog and i was crying on facebook because i told them I, i'm scared i don't know what to expect i don't know what's going to happen but i'm i think it's the right thing to do and this is what i'm going to do and i couldn't tell you the response i got was tremendous and that's when i say i live in probably one of the most incredible communities out there for a little town I've got over 10,000 views on Facebook. I cannot tell you the response I got. And people were coming out of the woodworks to make sure they ordered um, takeout so we could stay afloat. And I tell you, I live in a very incredible community. The community was just, it was, it was just incredible. I mean, they, they, they did it. They made us, you know, they, we survived because of them. You know, it was a big thank you for them. Um, but it was also scary, and it was a learning tool. Everything you learned, everything you learned in the restaurant business, throw it out the door because it means absolutely nothing. Because from this day on, it's a new day. You have no idea what you expect. You have no idea how what to handle, what to take in. It was a learning tool. Uh, you know, you go from a, a restaurant business to take out and dining and all this. And now you had to do things in a certain way and uh, sanitize this. And 
and just have everything on the takeout. And then, and then when they, and then when they finally opened up the doors, but it was only every six feet. Well, customers that had sitting in the restaurant that it was half empty couldn't understand why the food was taking so long because I had 10 times the amount of food going out, takeout, because people didn't want to dine in still. So they were going takeout versus dining in. So they would look at a restaurant half empty, but they had no understanding that I had I'm, – I'm telling you, for every one table, I probably had about 15 tickets going out. It was insane. My, my takeout went up like 1,200%. It was, it was so insane that I wouldn't even want to do it again. That's how crazy it was. It was, it was too crazy to handle. I mean, I guess it's a good complaint, but it's, it's it wasn't because satisfaction is my ultimate goal. But um, it was it was so something hard did, to. How did you pivot through this? How do you make sure your food is just as good going out the door? You're now delivery only or pickup only, whatever it is. Um, during COVID, like you're changing your business, you're changing the way you're marketing your business because you're not like, oh, come eat with us and try our lasagna. You know, you're trying, everything becomes different now. How did you pivot and adjust all that? Because I think it's part of your business now, even though you're open, you've created this new part of it. So explain to me what, what you did there. How did you pivot? I mean, obviously you're trying to adjust to a new situation, but I, I believe that you've handled it well. Well, thank you. Um, we always had a good takeout business. So a lot of our customers dined in and they also dined out. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a hard transition because they just said, well, we'll just take out because we always take out. So you'll always have our business. Uh, the, the, the learning pivot was <clears throat> how do I keep it fresh when this customer is ordering, you know, and, and I have 56 tickets in front of him. So it was learning about timing. It was learning about how to. It was it was it was getting chaos faster than me to learn how to control it. It kept on growing. So you know, it was more important of me teaching my custom, my cooks in the back don't start this dish because I have a stromboli that cooks in the front that goes with the spaghetti and meatball. We have to make sure, and it's an hour wait, we have to make sure this thing goes out at a timely manner so when they get it, it's still hot. So, and teaching my, you know, teaching my counter people that are taking the phone calls, you know, it was, it was, it was hard because trying to tell them, you know, it's, you know, when somebody makes a call, takeout order, it's usually 20, 25 minutes. And then they, they had that brainwash, oh, 25 minutes. No, not when I have a hundred tickets. It's not twenty-five minutes anymore. You have to, you have to look at things and say, "Wow, we have a lot of pickup." You have to learn. You have to understand. All right, now it's, you know, and I realized that they couldn't understand it, so I had to take. So as I'm cooking, I'm screaming in the back, and I'm yelling to the counters because I don't even have time to go in the front to tell them. Okay, now it's so I'm just like not yelling like screaming, but I'm yelling enough for them to hear me. Okay, now it's forty minute pickup. All right, change it now to one hour pickup. You know, then and then as it goes back down, and, I, and then we get to control. I and I'll I'll, I'll narrow it down. So I'm cooking and I'm controlling the time that's going out there. 
all right, now it's a 40-minute time pickup. All right, now we're back to normal. You know, so it's a lot. There's, it's like a roulette. Think of like a roulette, like the pit bosses in the roulette, how they oversee everything. They oversee all the bets coming in. They oversee the dealers. They oversee the dice. There's just a lot going in. So I'm watching everything cooking. I'm watching packages getting come in. I'm watching tickets coming in. And I'll have to control the, the, the times coming in. It, it's, it's, it's not an easy task. I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. It's not an easy task. It's, you know, it, it's kudos for people that have dealt with it and understand what I'm talking about. Um, it's not something that you can just hand it over to somebody and say, hey, I'm going to go away for a week. You know, just, just, hit, just take care of it. No, it's, there's only a certain amount of people that understand and can, are able to handle something like this. And, and, you know, being an entrepreneur puts you in that situation, but that doesn't mean all entrepreneurs know how to handle that situation. Uh, you just have to do it because it's your business. It's your life. And, uh, you know, I'm just fortunate that I have a brother and a partner that we came from the same, uh, we call it the school of, you know, the last of the Mohicans because when we were kids, my mother, it was just fortunate that my father's best friend was also an incredible entrepreneur and he emphasized his whole life on quality and ingredients and he brainwashed us about quality ingredients. So we were learned, we were taught the most incredible fundamentals growing up in a restaurant. There's a lot of tomato sauces out there. There's a thousand different cans of tomato sauces, a thousand different brands of cheeses. There's only very few that's the highest ingredients. People tend to go cheap because they want to make more money. He emphasized quality, quality, quality. Don't be afraid of the price. Customers will appreciate it because they know they're having quality. So he brainwashed us with that. So that was, that was, it was easy saying because my brother came from the same school that we both knew that he was able to handle that in the front as I was able to handle it in the kitchen. So I was fortunate enough to have a brother and a partner like that. Yeah, and I'm going to ask a question about that, but I want to add some commentary real quick on what you just said on the quality because I have myself have found this experience It always growing up, like I'm a very driven, like I like quantity and pushing out podcasts and, and things like that. And, and But when it came to food and I was in high production and hospitals and long-term care homes for 24 years and did all the New York City hospitals and Kaiser Permanente in California and hospitals in Virginia and Texas and Georgia and the long-term care homes over the country. And then we got in the back end of restaurants doing, helping them do soups and sauces and direct to consumers. But the one thing I found, and this is true, is if you really focus on quality and you have a high quality product, even if it's more expensive, the quantity comes. And so the quantity that you think you're making by a cheaper item on that one sale, if you can take a more expensive item, you can increase the margin because it's a higher priced item down the road once it becomes popular. And this is not to take anything from anyone. This is just because if it's a really good product, the quantity of customers that come into your restaurant far outseeds anyone who takes a shortcut. And if you take a shortcut, your customers know it. They know 
know they're a value deal and they know that and they can sense it. And maybe some of your customers come back and you have some loyal customers, but it's nowhere near the same when you focus on quality and the quantity in the long run is nowhere near the same. Not the dollars, not the volume of customers. And I've done tons of analysis on this and, and looked at tons of spreadsheets. And at the end of the day, McDonald's does a better job because they're consistent in the quality of their product. It doesn't mean it's the highest quality, but I'm using that as an example compared to everyone else. Now, Arby's charges a premium. They have a higher quality product. They cut their beef. They do it a little bit better. And over the long run, they make more money. So does Chick-fil-A. Okay, they're bad examples because they're fast food and they're not high quality food in the same way we're talking about here. But we can see the difference as the quality goes up. McDonald's, while they did quality and service and everything's universal, when someone offered a higher quality product or a difference like roast beef or really good chicken that was marinated and done in a, a very special way, that upscale thing eventually catches up and the volume of customers starts coming in. Okay, so... That's just something I'm going to give an example as. Um, I found it that you focus on quality, you focus on the quality of your service, the quality of your food, the quality of the people that work there, the quality of yourself, meaning your character and ingenuity. Um, sorry. And um, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, shoot. My, who I am as an individual. I can't believe I just... My integrity. Integrity, yes. And... Um, and then that comes with it. That's part of the quality that we're talking about. So I like that we talked about this. All right. Talk to me about your brother um, and you and the partnership, your brothers. You know, some brothers get along, some don't. There's actually probably getting along and not getting along and over certain topics, depending how you look at it. But let's talk to me about your relationship. Like who does what? How do you guys run a business together and, and function as partners without stepping on each other? Um, I mean, you know, we have our, I can't say we have our differences. Um, it, it's just, it really helps that we both were taught by the same person with the same aspect and the same ideas. And we have the same understandings of that. So it wasn't like he was taught to go cheap and I was taught to go with quality. We both were on the same page. So when it came to that, we understood and it made and it, that definitely makes a difference. If you're going to go business with somebody, you have to make sure you're both on the same page. <clears throat> Do you, you know, what is the name? What is it? Is it quality? What is it that you guys are shooting for? But you have to be on the same page because one is going, well, I want to, I'm, you know, I was always told about quality and this one is saying, yeah, but I can make twice as much doing this one. Well, you're going to have to sit down and talk first before you guys go forward because that's where you're going to bump. So we didn't have that problem because we were we were taught in the same uh, you know method and understanding when it came to quality. As far as again us getting along, we got along because thanks to my mother and father because we were a very close family that we never really argued, we never really fought. Do we argue in a, you know between us in the restaurants or certain things? Absolutely. I've been in there many fights with me and my brother. Many, many fights. But I can tell you one thing. Not one day or not one night, we walk through those doors and everything is good. We never walked out pissed. We never walked out mad at each other or holding our regrets. We had our differences of certain things and we let, you know, we, we, we showed our concerns. But we 
talk and we we don't hold any grudges and we don't we don't do anything like that so it, it, you know again it was it was definitely kudos to my mother and father raising us uh, as we are but then again it, then it also goes to of how we were raised in the kitchen and we both had the same understandings so when it came to certain things i know i don't have to i don't have to check on the front and see everything's going because I know whatever he's doing, he is producing at that quality versus he knows what I'm doing in the kitchen. And, you know, we don't, we don't step on each each other's toes. If he's running the front, that's his game. I trust him. He knows what he's doing. I'm in the kitchen. He trusts me. He knows what I'm doing. He doesn't come in the kitchen and say, I want this done this way because I might have told them, hey, this is how I want it done. You know, so then there'll be a, a, a controversy or whatever, and, you know, for an argument. and said, no, we don't step on each other's toes. I'm in the kitchen. They're working with me. This is If I'm telling them how to do it, it's because they're doing what I'm doing. There might be some times <clears throat> where I'm not, I'm not overlooking at a certain spot and they're doing something that it's not what I want. And me and my brother look at it, he brings it to my attention. And I'm like, no, who told you this? This is not the way it's done. I don't know who told you this, but it's not the way it's done. So yes, he's always overlooking and he's always looking in the back because there's a lot more complex in the kitchen. Um, but when I'm cooking in the front, I can't see everything as far as like the salad station versus or the appetizers over there. They're on the other side. So it's harder for me to look when I'm really busy, but when he passes, he might see something. So he's always overlooking. And the same thing in the front. I might be in the front and I might see something that, you know, I just make a little quick correction. And, and I know my brother wouldn't allow that to happen. So I'll just say, hey, look at this over here. And that's it. And the whole just stuff. So, you know, we, we, we definitely have a good uh, relationship when it comes to uh, partners. I mean, I wouldn't. I know what he's able to produce. He's a he's a workhorse with a passion, same as me. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have if I had to do it all over again. It would probably be him because he's he's probably one of the, there's probably another person or two that you know my younger brother he has the same passion too, um, but there's only probably one or two more people that I could consider myself ever going in business with that I could rely and trust like my brother, hands down. If I'm going into a fight in the kitchen, he'll be by my side. I love this. Um, talk to me about how you build relationships with your customers because it's more than just the food for you guys. I mean, 20 years, 20 plus years of being in business and doing food for yourself and all those things. Like how did you, you know, how do you, how do you build these relationships with your customers? You build a relationship with your customers. Be yourself. Be real. Don't be fake. Don't try to sell something. Look at customers and look at them as a long-term investment. Don't try to make $100 on them, upsell something, and, and, and you, you know, say, hey, well, I, could, you know, I made this much. I was able to. No. Appreciate what you have and focus on long-term relationship. So pay attention to them. Listen, be concerned. That's why I never was a crazy about delivering. And I'm going to give you an example. A delivery business, I'm not saying they're not successful or not, but a delivery business is a phone number. 
It's a seven-digit phone number. They have no idea who I look like or what my voice is or the stitches I have on my arm that I cut myself by accident. They have no understanding. It's just a phone number. When they get a new menu, get mailed to them, it's a phone number. It's very easy for them to dial another phone number on that Friday night because they don't have to see my face or they don't have to – They don't have to. There's, there's nothing there. There's no commitment there, even though they've been calling for years, but there's nothing really there. I'm not going to call them and say, hey, how come, it, you know, how come you didn't call us this week? They could easily just pick up another phone number and dial someplace else. But when somebody comes in every Friday and you see their little girl or their little son and you see them grow up and now they're in high school and now they're in college, hey, how's your son doing? I know he went to, he went to study in Ireland. Is he back yet? No, he's still there. Thank you for asking. You built a relationship. I know your wife, I know your little daughter had an ear operation. Is everything okay? Yeah, thank you for asking. That was a couple months ago. I, I can't I couldn't believe that you remembered. I said, of course, you were telling me about it. You were worried. How was everything? It's things like that. I'm not selling my ingredient. I'm being a friend and I'm listening to them. I'm communicating. It's things about family that brings it together. Those, that kind of trust and that kind of bond, it lasts a lifetime. So it's, that's the, it's communication is key, but being honest and not trying to upsell, just being a friend and just listening. It's, it's the long-term relationship that's going to, that's going to make you excel. And I agree 100%, uh, especially like you, it's it's not a short-term investment and it's not a short-term take from the customer to extract as much cash out of them today because you don't want to do that. You want to actually get to know them. You want to give them what they want so they keep coming back because the long run profits your family and your business way more. And the relationship itself, word of mouth, things like that, that's the best marketing tool. It's not just cliche to say it anymore during social media where everyone's like, oh, I can take a shortcut and reach 10,000 people with a click and a but boost yeah. i'm like yeah but you're not building a relationship and these are these are one hit wonders that are coming into your restaurant usually they're not long term because they're looking just for the next reel or the next person to jump into and if you don't capture them and build a relationship with them they are on to the next swipe or swipe right or swipe up or whatever direction it happens to be the app that they're using so mm-hmm. i love this a lot and i think it's hugely important in that it's about a relationship like their family and what they're doing affects my family if we're in business together. And whether I know it or not, my conversation with that person or showing up for that person at something or, or getting to know them or how's the kids baseball team doing and, and whatever else, that's huge. Or, you know, go to the baseball game every once in a while for anyone in the audience. If you're trying to build relationships that, that gets it, you need to do things that wow people. And in today's world, weirdly wowing people is just caring enough about them to build a relationship with them and get to know them and hear them and see them to what uh, Giovanni talked about. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's, it's, we want, they want to be seen and they want to be actually heard and listened to and someone actually care about what they're having to say. And they don't want to be just a transaction in your restaurant that you're just extracting money out of. They want to be more than that. Also, they want to find a place to belong, not to fit in, but to belong. And if you treat them as their family and they're your friends in your own business and get to know them, then they get a sense of belonging because they get to be exactly who they are. And to your point, if you're a good business person, you'll be exactly who you are. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's, you know, bigger than anyone could ever understand. And there's an energy there that connects us as humans that far 
exceeds money and does it lead to money yes but at the end of the day in the food business from day one since we've been eating breaking bread has been a group activity and we bond over it and we build friendships over it and that's the way it is as humans uh you know peace treaties have been signed over dinner for goodness sake so like we're just talking about things that used properly. Food is an equalizer. We all have to eat. We all have to drink. It's part of our survival. But it also allows us in the environment if we're around people who are like us and honest, not dishonest individuals or business owners, um, you'll bring in honest customers and authentic customers and customers that are actually going to contribute to your business or give good tips to your waiters and waitresses or your businesses if you do a tip share. You know, it matters. Um so with that being said, where do you hope your business goes, um, you know, the next 5, 10, 25 years, uh, Giovanni? Well, I mean, I have two nephews that are working with us right now out of the, the six nephews and nieces. Um, I would love to see it come to, like, one of their hands. Uh, I know my younger, my older brother, he doesn't really want his uh, kids in the business but if they if they choose they want to he's open to it um again for me i would love to see it comes because they they've been there long enough to see it um they have their you know their feet wet inside the business so it's just another stepping stool they probably have two more stepping stools to do to become that entrepreneur level um but they're they both definitely have dedication and heart in the business but that being said if they do not I would, I would love to see my name just still, you know, it was my father's name. And before he passed away, he was able to see that writing on the wall. And uh, I would love to just to have that, that see that name continue. Uh, we have a very good reputation. Uh, people have heard from us in hours away. Um, you know, again, when everybody does something, they always see, oh, you know, you try to build it, you try to build like a franchise. I, I don't see anything going with a franchise. But I do see the reputation. Whatever happens, I just hope that it just whoever takes over, because I'm not going to be here running the restaurant for another 25 years. I can promise you that. But if if it doesn't go in their hands, whoever's hands it does go into, I just hope they they follow just a certain fundamentals. And obviously, um, quality is definitely one of them. So and just keeping that name alive with, in good faith and good reputation. I love this. And I run into this a lot when I do consulting, particularly right now, interestingly, is like families not wanting other generations to get into food and like this negative connotation of food. We eat it all day long. We want the highest quality food, but the the workers and the entrepreneurs who make it happen, mm, I don't want that for my kid. But here's the interesting part. If you look at it on a global scale, there's more food entrepreneurs than any other area of the world. They, they create jobs, they have influence in this. They also have more financial independence and freedom to build their legacies, interestingly. And I found this, like I have two stepdaughters from a previous relationship and they're much older. But when I allowed them to choose what even I thought, I'm like, how, Zoe, are you ever going to make money off of CrossFit? You know, but I'm going to support this 100%. But in the back of my head, I'm like, how is she ever going to make a living off this? She will not get a job. All she wants to do is CrossFit all day. She plays soccer, CrossFit, and gets straight A's. Like, but it, but you're not working any job. No job. Refuse to get a job. Okay. And I'm, and she hears this. She's going to be like, why do you tell everyone that? But here's the reality: is she's now a professional CrossFit athlete. 
She now works in a CrossFit gym. She found her own path, and her and her fiance have started their own business called Step Up Training, training at other athletes and and want to to get into that space and and all that. So. I, it's one of those things that I just want to add a commentary that the entrepreneurial ingenuity is there for anyone who wants to do anything in life and doesn't have your stereotypical solution. Food seems obvious, but it's not. It's hard to get in the game. It causes tangible items. You've got to produce good food. You've actually got to have decent business skills because you have a lot to manage. And you've got to be really good at multitasking because there's how many inventory items, how many different ingredients, how many different people coming in the door, how many transactions you go through on credit cards and cash and, and receipts. It's it's definitely a skill. And the reason people who do well at it grow their business is because they become really good at working on their businesses while making sure everything in their businesses remains to standard operating procedures within creativity. So that's... Um, that's what I have to say. And I think you obviously do a great job of that. And we talked about the learning curve or the nightmare curve. And so there's some of that. So this is my last uh, question or more like a statement, I guess. I would like you to, you know, any entrepreneurs that are out there, people talking about getting into food, we talked about your nephews a little bit, but outside of your family, if there's people out there that are going through this, like not quite sure they want to be an entrepreneur, not quite sure they want to be in food, but they have this burning desire um, to be in food or to be an entrepreneur, what is your advice for them? I mean, if they have the desire, if they're looking at it, if they're looking at it as an income, then I think you're looking into it as in a, in a wrong direction. People look at it because they say, oh, there's good money in here. And if they're looking at it solely just because of the income value, then they're going into it in the wrong direction. I don't think it's for them. You have to have the passion. If you have the passion and you have the desire, and that is your dream, then follow your dream. But if you're looking at it as an income, it, it, it could get tough for you, I'm going to say. That's just my opinion. I just think the, the passion and the fire is going to go a lot further as following the dream than saying, oh, I could have did this. I could have made this money doing this and just sitting home or whatever. It's not all about that. It's everything about it. It's connecting. You know, not everything is always about money. It's it's making people happy, satisfying them with food, helping people, giving jobs out there for everybody, um, you know, your employees and their family. Uh, it, it's a big overall picture. And at the end of the day, it's like you can sit back because you love what you do and you show it and you, and you give it to everything around you. So, you know, again, I think it's more about passion. If you have it, then go for it. Follow your dreams. But if it's if it's just a, a an income value thing, and you just you know just saying that eh, you know I could do this, I would say find something else. Awesome. Uh, where can they find you online? Where are you guys? Uh, what's your address? So on and so forth. Uh, I'm located in Troutman, North Carolina. It's two seven five North Main Street. In North Carolina, you can always follow me on Instagram, uh, which is Pellegrino's Trattoria at Pellegrino's Trattoria, or Facebook is my number one. Uh, I think I just went tipped over seven thousand followers, and that's uh, Pellegrino's Trattoria at Facebook in Troutman. 
but you don't have to say Trout and just Pellegrino's treachery. And <laughs> you always you always see me live. It's interesting. I feel like it's because of my age a little bit, but like I try so hard on Instagram. Like I'm really conscious of it in the marketing, my personal brand, but my Facebook just like. I'm like I share my stuff on from Instagram onto Facebook, and my Facebook just yeah. goes organically like crazy, and it's the craziest yeah, thing. Like I'm like, oh, like how? Why? Like how? What? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing right here? What am I doing wrong there? <laughs> I know. You know? And it's I like, say I say the same thing. I have like 1,600 followers, I think, on Instagram, but I just tipped over like 7,000 on Facebook, and I try so hard, I can't do it. And 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 Facebook is just climbing and climbing, and and I'm, you know, so I, I'm just sticking to what's stronger out there, and, I, and what I get better outcome at, better success as people watching. So I I, I see as a as owning the restaurant, I see them come in on my views, and I and I see it. I, I can't tell you, my wife, like when I go shopping, my I would go shopping, and somebody would come to me and just tap me on the shoulder and say, I just want to tell you, we just love watching your videos. I cannot tell you everywhere I go. She's like, I can't take you nowhere without somebody realizing or or knowing who who you are. So it's all because of Facebook. It's not because of Instagram. It's all Facebook. Yeah, it's the same not, here I'm right not, now. I'm not. I'm not marketing Facebook. I'm just. I'm just saying it. It is what it is. <laughs> I know. I know. And I believe me. I've. I've outside of my own personal brand. I've grown all these social media things for other people and and own businesses and stuff but it's just crazy um right now how much facebook is is blowing up on the the branding for the businesses and the especially if you have a quality brand there's a lot of um very they're not looking to quit they're not looking to click uh sorry click on or swipe they're, the audience on Facebook is actually looking to get content and education, I find, out of this stuff. Or, or to your point, listen to the videos. It's very interesting to me. Um, and from a business standpoint, everyone uses Instagram and the reels, and they add up to a lot of accounts. But I don't see the conversion there to dollars like I do in Facebook for even everyone I, I consult for. Even TikTok, 550,000 followers, that's great. But they don't live in the city you're producing food. And exactly. so, like, how – and you're not connecting with the customers like we just talked about in, in in the way. Like, it's great. There's volume. You want to grow across the world. I think you've got a good base. It's just – it's not converting into dollars. And I'm saying it's about converting into dollars. I'm just saying right now Facebook has a more engaged audience in your locality, in your regions to convert dollars. Um, for your business Um, it's a free tool that can generate word of mouth and like we just talked about everyone noticing you but it can also generate literally people asking questions or uh, integrating or getting more involved in your post so um, not you having to demand it yeah go ahead and they have and they have incredible tools Facebook to market it's very easy and you have it's a the tools that they have to target your audience from age to distance to how many miles there's so much education and they have platforms out there that could teach you to to better your audience or should i say to your market what are you what are you looking for so they have the right tools there's a bigger uh, you know a, a platform should i say so that's why i think why they have such good success well, I'm definitely going to have you guys back on the podcast. Maybe your brother would even be willing to join us for the next one. Um, 
but or someone but either way i'm gonna have you back on because i have a lot of questions other questions i have just in the entrepreneurial world and questions for your business so i'd love to have you you back on and i appreciate your time giovanni no problem anytime i appreciate it. i enjoyed it thank you for i feel honored to you uh choosing me and picking me. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And I spend time in North Carolina. I did go to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill um, to get my one BA in my 30s. Even as an entrepreneur, I was constantly educating myself and pushing myself. Um, But so I'm familiar with the area and I spend a lot of time there. So I'm actually going to try to come out and see you guys and and figure out how to do all that uh, when I make one of my trips down there. Uh, The other thing is, is everyone in the audience, thank you guys for listening in. I appreciate you guys. Again, share the content. Word of mouth happens. If you know entrepreneurs out there that are struggling or want to be entrepreneurs that, or chefs that are trying to figure things out or, or trying to gain some independence or have ideas in their head, these are the podcasts to listen to. I, I just recently heard, weirdly, we talked about this, but I got someone on Facebook that communicated to me and said the first thing they did is go through all the podcasts and listen to the last 10 minutes because I asked the question of, you know, the, the advice for other entrepreneurs. And so before they went back and listened to all the episodes, they've ne- they went through and just literally took notes on what every entrepreneur said as the advice to another entrepreneur. So I found that to be interesting. I didn't think people would try to shortcut like that, but I guess knowledge is obtained in any way you wish to obtain it because you're catching it. It's not actually being taught to you. The information's already out there. You're just now willing to catch it and make it a part of your life. So it's pretty cool. So I and it made me think of it as Giovanni closed there because there were so many valuable nuggets of knowledge. Um, I call them yummy num- nuggets of knowledge because we're in the food game that you just want to snack them all up. And so <laughs> it's just like you know, snack up the knowledge. And you know, I don't really say that on this podcast, but I do say it in my close groups and the the team members that I have and and the the humans that used to work for me and anyone that I influence or. or coach it's very important there's so many nuggets and god speaks through other people through podcasts through books through word of mouth or through talking and building personal relationships with people so you know snack up those yummy nuggets because they're definitely worth eating um so again thank you everyone you can find us on facebook and instagram at justin the food entrepreneurs i usually only say instagram but i'll say facebook today and You can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And if you're hungry and looking for food and don't want to leave where you are or at work or at home, DoorDash is the way to go. So thank you, everyone, for listening in, and we're out.